You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. We're the answers. And welcome to Elsner. It's a production of Galactic Network. I'm Gregor Sprague. I'm Uncoric Scott, Life Model Decoy. <laughs> for all info on this show, including show notes and subscription links, go to elsnerds.com. And for other Galactic Network programs, go to gncast.com. On Elsnerds, we tend to shoot our muscles without thinking, and we will spoil things and we'll spur liberally. Yes, yes, this is true. Um, so, as you can hear by the accent that is not Corey scott that is beatmaster our uh our uh swiss producer extraordinaire and we have another producer you could almost could call us a producer showcase because we have bryce nashcom castillo the producer of the bizarre briefing cord killers uh night attack scam school and weird things and he does so much many more things bryce how you doing i'm good thanks for having me on guys no problem you know it's as b is doing the we're not worthy from wayne's world thing here but yeah so no yeah we had one of your subjects what what i would call him since he's you know tom we had him on last week and so we figured keep it on a roll let's get more people on here and yeah i'm always happy to do podcasts and stuff so uh uh thanks for having me on yeah no no problem I'm so being here. so uh let's get started with the else news the else nerds else news of the week and the first one is one that everyone's heard um so yeah and, and it's I, th- I think a lot of people got a little too carried away because it's like yeah we'll do it and i've seen the headline from everyone fox is interested in firefly reboot but only under one condition that's the only headline i've seen for this article from mm-hmm. 50 different places um, but yeah so the news is that fox you know with their recently bringing back you know x-files prison break um, and other networks doing it like uh, Netflix or NBC is bringing back uh, Will and Grace. Um, you know, re- Netflix has rebooted Full House. Heroes. NBC brought back Heroes last yeah. year, right? Like it's it's a good time for reboots. Yeah. So everyone's like, well, what about Firefly? You know, the show that was canceled way too soon and brought on way too early um, was way ahead of its time. And basically, during the uh, a panel at the uh, TCA, you know, they they said that the ball is really in Joss Whedon's court. Now, the whole comment just made me say, "Well, no, duh." I mean, yeah, at, you've you hear about how everyone loves Firefly and would love to see you know see more Firefly and what they want more Firefly. So yeah, of course you would say like, yeah, just you got we got to get Joss Whedon to do it and all that. So, yeah. what do you guys think about this? What do you guys think about the news here of more Firefly? Like having Joss Whedon be a condition of it makes total sense because if you brought back brought back Firefly and it wasn't Joss Whedon writing and directing it, no one would watch. Like literally, you would get backlash from everybody because it's a sci-fi show, so nobody's going to watch it. And it's a fan reboot, and if it doesn't have like the crown jewel of of the original series, they're not going to want to watch it. Like that's the bare minimum of like having Joss Whedon back. No, I could see that because I mean, like I told B earlier, because he asked, "You seen Firefly?" I'm like, "Yeah, I've seen Firefly. I'm a big fan of Firefly. I'm reading the, I've read 
all, if not like 95% of the Firefly comic books that like- Dark Horse has produced. And it's that similar thing, like it, where the first ones weren't Joss Whedon, they were his one of his brothers um, mm-hmm. writing it. This one um, is the creator and writer of iZombie, who's writing the new one, The No Power in the Verse. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's so like, still good? Yeah. Yeah. It's still good. But it's like, so it's like, I think if they got, I'm not saying with the TV side of things, but it's like, you know, in the comic books, at least, you know, they get someone good working on it. Um, which actually makes me, honestly, saying that, it makes me think, man, if only they could have got, uh, and I'm blanking on his name, um, as, uh, the guy who did the art for iZombie. Um, he's currently doing uh, Silver Surfer over at Marvel. Um, Michael Allred, that's it. Um, like that would have been a really interesting take on the characters that they always draw them based on, you know, Nathan Fillion after Mal and all that. And like that'd have been really cool to see. <laughs> Just a second there, the comics, do they when do they happen before the show, while the show, or there's, before the movie or after the movie? There's so this last one, um, No Power in the Verse. Um, is after the movie. Um, so it's, um, and, you know, and spoilers for the movie, which has been out for a long time now, but, um, you know, Wash is dead. Um, they've actually grieved the last book because it's one that it comes out every so often. Like they'll do, you know, No Power in the Verse, and it's a six issue miniseries and stuff like that. But the, um, but yeah, it's there. Uh, Wash and I'm blanking on Gina Torres's uh, character's name. Um, oh. yeah, their kid is like four years old. Like, like she's a, a little toddler in here and stuff. And it's really cool to see, like, how they've taken off. But like the beginning, it was, um, in between the comic book and the movie, and then there was some stuff that was like there was a a shepherd preview like like prequel book and then it was after a lot of it's after the movie because they figure that's sort of the easiest place to to go is you know after the movie um and actually with the one before no power in the verse it seemed like firefly season two really i mean yeah it took with how they had that it was um Gina Torres's character and again I'm blanking on the name um but she you know she uh she was getting you know grieving over the the loss of wash and all that and so I mean you know it and it was just really really cool at how they told that story without needing the the television to do it to be able to use it and transfer it to another medium yeah and and with with sci-fi on TV, especially being, you know, a, a historically being a lower return on investment, just in terms of you know, making television, uh, it it actually kind of makes sense if if they just kept making comics. Like I like if I like I I have I've seen Firefly. It's it's been a while since the last time I've seen it. But uh, if I was really hungry for more Firefly, I would probably rather get. A new serialized comics than try to wrangle all of the actors up again for you know 10 episodes once a year like 
I, I, I feel like that, I, I don't know. This is getting into hypotheticals now, so so I don't want to stray too far. But I think that would be really, really cool is if Fox and maybe Joss Whedon gave his blessing or whatever and said, hey, like it's easier for us to tell stories this way. You will get more of them. And it's still the same characters, yada, yada, yada. Like that would be pretty exciting, uh, especially in. But then again, like, I don't know. Comics are also not doing super great. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, comics are... Oh, go ahead, B. Just saying that Universal also has its hands on the property because they released a movie. So the distribution rights between Fox and Universal also not helping the movie to, or the series to get rebooted. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm on Wikipedia right now looking through and um, Chris Robertson, or Robertson is the guy who created iZombie and is writing them. And actually, there's one that I've skipped in between because the one I was referring to was uh, Leaves on the Wind. And, you know, then they had in there uh, The Warrior and the Wind. Um, oh, which wait, I think I did. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it was in Free Comic Book Day. So, yeah, I did read that one. But, I mean, it's I, I like these because they give you these little, the comic books, they give you these little things. And I could see them easily doing a reg, an ongoing series. Um, and I do think, you know, comic books are in an uptick right now. I mean. You know, we talked about it on, you know, a couple weeks ago with Marvel trying to reach, uh, you know, rejigger their digital comics um, thing with the print comics. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're talking to a guy who reads about what anywhere from 25 to 40 comic books a week may or may not pay for them, uh, but has started paying for comic books. I mean, this is this is the past two weeks in comic books right here. This I got four comic books that I bought and all that. And it's like, yeah, this is the stories are getting really good. And, and I'm starting pull lists and stuff like that. Like this is stuff I would have done. I wouldn't have done that wouldn't happen 20 years ago mm -hmm. and, and all that. So, I mean, you know, comic books is, I, I really feel like it's making a comeback. Oh, yeah. All right. But it would be, I think that would be, that would behoove a publisher to say, Hey, we figured it out. We figured out the rights and stuff, and we're gonna make this not be an occasional thing. Yeah, I think I think with it because it's at Dark Horse right now, so that's part of the problem. Is it's um, Dark Horse, if I remember correctly, is the fourth or fifth place in the publishing world behind you know Marvel, DC, Image, and then I think they're pretty close up there with IDW, but they they do a very similar thing to IDW where it's licensed property you know it's like the only original things i think that are at dark horse and i'm probably wrong and if i am hey you know mail at elsners.com um to tell me how i am wrong but i think the only thing that they have that's a like their own is hellboy you know is the hellboy franchise really yeah because they've got like i know they've got uh the tomb raider is licensed over there aliens um, versus Predator. Yeah, the Aliens versus Predator. I think there was an Archie book with the Predator. Archie versus the Predator was through Dark Horse. <laughs> um, yeah, there's quite a bit of things over there, and it seems like they're going more licensed routes. Um, yeah, and they did have, and they did have Star Wars before you know Marvel bought that. Was there too? No. I, I, uh, 
I seem to recall that Whedon had two other properties that were put out on comics. Yes, so he's um, not, not a stranger to it. So it works. Yeah, for him. The, they continued on with the um, TV shows. So um, Buffy and Angel, they've they've done the seasons um, in their in comic book forms. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I mean, Dark Horse would be the people to do a regular run. It's just a matter of getting the right writer and you know team there to to do the books yeah and it seems like with especially with this last couple stories i mean chris robertson might be that guy now we were talking about uh at the start of the story comparing you know the the comparing firefly with the with x-files and prison break and uh heroes and will and grace and i think I, 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 Firefly is, is such a cult classic, right? It is like for sci-fi, it's great sci-fi, but I, I, I don't know if that's setting up a potential TV reboot for failure though. Like the X-Files is legendary. Prison Break is a huge international success. 24 is huge internationally. Uh, Will and Grace was a, a revolutionary TV sitcom like I I I would love I would love to get more Firefly with the original cast and with Joss Whedon um, but at the same time you don't want to see something you love come back and not be beloved right mm-hmm. like we thought, like when when Futurama came back you know originally as those movies slash split up episodes uh, and then new seasons on Comedy Central. Like, well, I I personally didn't even like those seasons as, as just as episodes of Futurama, but I also feel like they generally weren't well received. And for as much as I love Futurama and have have a a, a very high regard for that show in terms of blending again sci-fi with comedy and animation, like I got what I wanted, and it it was ho-hum you know so yeah so are you more leery of it as a whole so like like because because with the x-files and prison break and i think even the will and grace thing they're both just limited series it's just they're returning for the one series now i think x-files did so well that they're like and the writers were all like well we got more stories we could tell so you know we'll we'll do another season which is very common series like true detective started off as a limited series yeah. Uh, they got to pick up before crashing and burning, but like Young Pope, which started off as a limited series and has already been renewed, uh, like like limited series is is a very good way of saying, hey, if this is actually good, we'll we'll give you more of it. Um, but but I I still am pretty worried about it. I I just don't know if if the time has passed. That's the thing also to make such a move from Reedon's part or from the studio's part. There are rabbit fans, but weren't there enough to sustain it while it was on the air? Apparently Mm. not. And also Fox is Fox and fucked with the episode orders and other things. So it was doomed from the get-go. But it took many shows that tried uh, for fan route to get started there, like Farscape tried and uh, Cherico, uh, yes, Cherico, 
and other shows that got just an extension to it and that was enough not a whole season or her old new approach close the open uh, story plots and give it a good, good send off and the movie was already that so sure i support your point it can only lead to disappointment mostly we're, we're gonna end up with even the best version of firefly a firefly reboot or a new limited series or an extra finale series season or whatever um is going to be people saying oh well you retconned this and now wash is still alive or you didn't retcon this and wash is still dead and i love alan tudyk or like i think that <laughs> fans of cult properties can be uh uh uh, very picky can be picky okay, yeah against their own interests uh and mass effect free <coughs> yeah you're right <laughs> so it's i i would love it i would openly you know i i would definitely watch whatever came out of out of a new firefly reboot uh i just cautiously optimistic is what i'll yeah what. no yeah and um i think we should point out that the Basically, the ball is in Joss Whedon's court um, for whether you know. He's not doing anything right now, Joss Whedon. I'm sure he's just like got time on his hands and just waiting for the next thing to fall into his lap. Well, I mean, I mean, what last I heard, he's probably going to be doing another one of those like much ado about nothing, like you know, to spend a weekend at his house with his friends, make him, do, you know, do Shakespeare, you know, like like one does. Sure. <laughs> and stuff like that, but yeah. So who knows? I mean, um, but no. So then our next story is. Um, you know, Gabe Newell has announced Half-Life 3. No, sorry, sorry, that's just force of habit. Um, that Valve is in development of three new VR games. Um, and this is going to be on their setup. This is going to be with the HTC Vive. Um, and you know, we actually got talking about this before the show about a lot of the about a lot of the VR things here. Um, mm -hmm. and this is actually a pretty interesting deal because you know I'm a whether it is where it is the lower end, but I'm a VR owner. I have the Oculus or the uh, Samsung Gear VR, and I love it. I freaking sit here and I get lost in these uh, these games that I'm playing, and even and it's like fighting my arm getting tired while I'm doing the what I call these uh, uh, cyclops here as I'm firing laser beams at people and stuff like that. Um. But this is still, you know, a really cool, you know, concept because it just tells me that, you know, we've got the some of the best game makers doing some doing this stuff. Um, and Bryce, you actually, you know, sort of picked this story. So, what yeah. made what made you uh, want to want to talk about VR? Do you own VR? Uh, uh, I don't, but I Brian uh, Brushwood, who I work for. Uh, does have an HTC Vive setup in the studio that we use for all the podcasting stuff. So I've used it. I've used it plenty of times, and it it, it genuinely is a lot of fun and very um, intuitive, just in terms of like the motion controllers and sensing all that stuff, and it being a very stable um, framework. Uh, but to to see to see uh, anyone from from Valve outright say we are working on new games, and they are going to be full games and not a mini game collection like the lab was uh which is i, I believe it's free with the htc5 um is 
uh, is in and of itself a surprise. Uh, you know, Gabe, Gabe also did an AMA on Reddit uh, a few weeks back where he said, uh, you know, when when we make games, we, we make games when we believe that there are systems for gaming that can be innovated. And so when they did Left 4 Dead, uh, it was because they had innovative ideas of how an AI should uh, 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 coordinate your game, your multiplayer game, the AI director. Uh, with with uh, TF2, it was about uh, 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 marketplace and 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 uh, out of game experiences and stuff. Yeah, uh, and and so he he hinted that they had they were also working on some new ideas in terms of a potential Left 4 Dead three. But for 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 someone to come out and say we are working on on full games and they are VR games uh, is big because in in the VR space right now there are you could probably count on one hand the amount of 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 games that we would consider to be full video game experiences in VR. Uh, you have Resident Evil Seven, which is a PlayStation thing right now on VR, uh, and maybe that's it in terms of having a campaign, a multi-hour all VR campaign like I, I can can either of you guys think of one like a, the I only don't... other one I could think of and it's not a game, it's more of an experience is um Annie Amber. It's on it's in the marketplace but it's in I played it on here and it was one of the better games because it's one of these, you know, you sit in an office chair and you're going around there's no there's music, there's no audio or no you know voices or anything like that but you are going around and you are you're learning about this person by going to dots by going to like you'll see a circle and you'll go and as you look at the circle you go around it so you're just sort of looking around while your head's pointed there yeah as you're looking at that thing and it's one that you know, I got with when I got the headset because it also came with, uh, you know, like free Oculus content and stuff. So I'm like, sweet, buy this or, you know, get the game. And I'm going, oh, crap. And I haven't even finished it. it eventually, you got into puzzle elements. Like, and it was really cool at how, you know, no words. The only words that I've seen are Annie Amber. And that's in the beginning as you have the the logo with a like, you know, and all that stuff. Other than that, it's like there's not really any other words, but then you're like, and you just go around, and you you naturally find how to do things, and I'm like, this is so cool. But I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call it a game; it's more of an experience. Well, it looks like uh, I'm looking at the Steam page, and it looks like it's very puzzle heavy and and environmental, yeah. which also reminds me of um of oh, it's not called Occlusion; it's the new game from Cyan Worlds. The people who made Mist, and it's a Mist-like game. Oh, Abduction, Abduction, uh, which is fully VR compatible in that you can you can play it with VR. Um, though I don't necessarily know where that leads because Resident Evil is also VR fully VR compatible, but that's an action first-person game where this is just a puzzle first-person game. It's 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 hard to to see, but but for Valve to come out and say we are working on three new games. And for them to say they are going to be full, big games, uh, ideally that will be worth the price tag, uh, is big. It's really big, and we've already seen Valve spend resources on VR in a way that they should have spent for 
or they said they would spend for Steam machines or Steam OS, and then didn't because those things flopped. Uh, so, so it's interesting. Do you either of you own a Steam controller? I do. I don't. I don't. Is it a success or oddity, or did it fail flat out? I don't. Uh, ever since I got it, I haven't been playing with the controller much at all. Honestly, um, I think I think I'd probably give it a, in my in the times that I've used it. I've I've found uh, I've found that the community for like you know it you can you basically have to custom key map all of the buttons and everything because it's not the same as the 360 controller, which is the standard for a PC controller. And I think the community exists there to really uh, to really suss out the subtleties and, and the, the intricacies of the controller. And so you can download community maps that work really, really. There are even some for, <laughs> I found out that they have, um, that people have made them for like Hearthstone. Like if you put Hearthstone into Steam, Steam will recognize that it's Hearthstone. And there are people who have made like you can it'll use the motion sensing to that's how you control your uh, your cursor. So you can actually like throw the control. You can do like a throwing motion with the controller and that will like bring your cursor up. And so you can kind of throw cards on the field. It's fun, like fun little things like that. I think the community has stepped up, uh, but there are still parts of the Steam controller that are very wonky and seem undercooked and i i don't expect those to be finished i see that's a i know things to come maybe with the vr undertaking they have because they went out of their way to bring the keyboard experience to your controller that was the attempt they had at the beginning and then as you said the community came in but also provided us with a universal controller access to all games, I think. I know every game is able to use the controller configuration. Sure, because it... Not just the Steam controller, but also the Xbox 360, Xbox One, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4 controllers, I recall. Um, I, I think that was an update to Steam that would recognize more yeah. controllers like the PlayStation 3 controller. But one uh, led to the other, so I hope that there we are undertaking will bring not just something for the wife or something for steam but for the vr in general and they are able to they have the heft behind their lever and can say okay we're gonna go full on here and uh, it's exciting for the vr community but uh i'm careful to not expect too much because they made great games and great uh, engines and other things but it's like a uh, rodeo with Angry Birds or uh, Minecraft, and you have to repeat your success on that level any any time. Like Apple, it's a little bit far off, but it's the same thing. It's hard to keep that up. So I am hopeful, but I keep my expectations a little bit tempered. And Valve has the unenviable position of also having to maintain Steam, which is a client in a store and developer relations. Like we also saw this past week that. Uh, 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 Valve came out and said, yeah, we're going to get rid of Steam Greenlight because you guys have been telling us very accurately, by the way. Greenlight <laughs> is a piece of trash. Transition uh, stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, so you you have a, a game, basically a game company that has to spend so many resources, so much, so much of their resources being a store. Um, 
and support their engines. They just came out with a new version of Source. Uh, I want to say it's Source 2 or Source 3. which yeah, they Source ported, 2. Source 2, which is what they ported Dota over to. So when Dota, Dota 2 had that huge update that changed basically the entire paradigm of the game, that is because they put it on the new version of Source, which is supposed to be running uh, their new Left 4 Dead game. Like, it's it's tough, right? You don't You don't see Epic making as many games because they have to make Unreal or they have to support Unreal. Um, and Valve has put themselves in a position to be one of everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, oh, it's... Oh, yeah. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'm... <laughs> oh, one, last thing, one last thing about Valve and VR is uh, if you look at the HTC Vive, it's always been positioned as HTC making a Steam VR headset, um, which is a very it was a very particular bit of branding. But the subtext on it is eventually Steam or Valve will open up the Steam VR um, library, the Steam VR specifications, so that people can make Steam VR headsets. And once, once the technical side is down, and once you know people who have paid, it's like the Tesla thing, right? Once people have paid the high price for, for VR, uh, the market and and competition will be able to come in and offer more headsets at more affordable options and more affordable ranges, and the power will be be um, so much more affordable that you can it it will be it will open itself up gradually to lower and lower price points. Absolutely, but one thing, as we talked before, with Google doing so, dropping some services. Also, when you tend to do things like a, a test run and you put out their product, you can burn some customers because of it. And then you have to be careful that you don't appear to be not caring about the legacy or or the first customers, the the premium buyers, and things like that. So sure. I, I can see that can backfire. But as you said, well. Valve had has so many f f things going on that if one thing gets a little bit of itself, it won't take down the whole thing because Steam itself is printing money, so they can allow themselves to fail once, twice. Sure, and 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 honestly, though, I think you've seen more. You've seen more like consumer double dipping on the Oculus side, where at first they came out with the headset, and then they came out with the controller and the room sensing stuff like like there and not not touching all of that being built on top of this this crowdfunding campaign so i think i think i i would like to think most vr customers who are probably have more disposable income or or are in a you know are able to spend as much money as it costs to run vr right now um would recognize that they are in a very like old early days tesla situation where they are basically subsidizing the development of this technology um, and then suddenly Google and Samsung eat their lunch because they do it on a $200, $300 basis. I mean, Sony's already done that. Oh. Sony's already done that. And, and uh, you know, that's, I don't think that's going to make anybody too upset that right now there are more PSVR headsets out there than Oculus or, or Vive. But even with, every... uh, on, the, on the PlayStation side, though, is there that many games for it like i know there's the batman vr um i think star wars battlefront has a vr thing in it um and then the yeah, resident evil 7 playstation on, on the playstation side there are definitely a lot of like licensed experiences like the batman arkham arkham thing um and and there is a star wars experience which i've heard is pretty meh. 
but I think Resident Evil 7 coming out and being all VR was a huge, a huge push for that. Um, and also just the affordability of what PSVR costs and not also needing to buy a you know $1,500 computer to run it all. Um, yeah. It's, I don't know. All, I'm, all I've got to say is I am happy with my Samsung Gear VR doing yeah. the little just do 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 things and 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 I bet there will be plenty. I I mean I think that's what more of the mobile VR space will will evolve into is 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 you know eventually mobile phones will become so powerful that they can do their own VR stuff and there will be people who that is going to be exactly what they need right mm-hmm. for the same reason that. Chromebooks and netbooks were a big thing. Like that, that's just another niche of the entire VR is just a whole new pie, and it's all the same. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll probably end up seeing a lot of the same uh, 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 splitting off between you know casual or mobile or console or PC. Like I, I bet, I bet at the end of the in ten years it will look pretty similar to what those distributions are now. And that's yeah. casual or more or less uh, use, uh, get used to games and things like that. Facebook will be the main thing, the main attributor to bring it to the masses. I don't like to see that way. But I would love to say it's well, it's a cast AR, it's whatever new thing that comes and emerges. But it's going to be Facebook mostly, I think, that's going to be the the main missionary, the uh, evangelist for the, the technology, and they employ people for that that are of high caliber. So they're trying kidding around. It's it's real to them. I mean, Facebook certainly has enough money invested in it. I think they also like very clearly have had some PR problems with Oculus as of late that I don't know that they've still quite gotten over. Uh, <laughs> But Facebook, but but also Facebook has has made a very active showing of saying, "Hey, we have a studio that's going to focus on getting games and making games, and we have a studio that's going to be focused on making uh, VR experiences, a whole stories their their story studio, which is just about making movie like experiences uh, for VR, uh, which is a whole which is a a function of the entire ecosystem that needs to be solved, and." I think Facebook has certainly has has the resources for it, um, but I don't know. I, I think for as many people as Facebook can empower Oculus to reach, I think there will be a, a lot of people who Facebook's instant attachment drove them away from Oculus. Yeah, know? we'll see. No, yeah, I, I, and I'll, I'll add with the as a final little thing with the video things. And we probably should point out that your boss does do the, uh, or did do the Austin VR thing. Right. Discovery and, VR. Yeah. The disc- for Discovery VR. That jaunt actually, I think, has one of the best um, VR experiences around. Cause I was messing with, I was messing with that. And it was, there's one in there where it was all John Lennon stuff. And so you're going around and it's, you know, very much like the, has the Beatles aesthetic and all that. And then, just playing videos where it's him talking about the early days of the Beatles and you can go around and they're playing archival clips while he's talking and he's mainly in this one spot and he'll, he'll mention something like he'll mention, you know, John Lennon and in will come this white light from around the room to draw you to what it's going to draw out. And it draws out Lennon. I'm like, that's great VR. Yeah. You know, that's 
you know, freaking awesome and stuff. That's that whole world experience. Um, there's another one where you're at, he's playing, you know, at some stadium and it, it goes between two cameras, one with him right there, like right there playing piano. And you're like, it's John Lennon. I could touch him sort of thing. And then you're in the audience watching, you know, watching everything. You can just be like, I don't care about the show. Turn over here and watch the crowd freak out sort of thing. <laughs> it's just cool little things like that, that I've, that I've seen. And it's been seamless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like and all that yeah it, it turned like visual storytelling will be something that creators will will suss out sooner rather than later with vr um but but the other problem with with storytelling um especially live action uh it's it's i would assume it is it easier in different ways for for all digital but uh with in terms of live action and cameras and stuff those systems are very expensive and yeah hard to execute on and, and, and even set up uh, they're getting easier certainly but it's that there there's a revel for the same reason for the same ways that we had a video revolution with DSLRs and, and streaming video we will need to have that like over the cliff moment on VR creation tools uh, those are coming but I don't think we're there yet yeah no definitely um, but yeah, so our final story for the Else Nerds, Else News is that uh, Dan Harmon has explained why Rick and Morty season three isn't ready yet. And guess what? He he calls Blamesies. He did it. It's his fault. Sorry. Um, he actually said during. No. <laughs> yeah. He actually said during uh, Sundance uh, a couple weeks ago that, um, you know, he full out apologized and, you know, that the release date got pushed back because of him um and all that there's nothing against adult swim it's just like i you could probably sum it up as he's really busy because you know he's doing five thousand things right now um you know with the CISO harman town or harman quest and and you know just doing a whole probably just got busy and or slacked off or Did, something uh, have either of you guys seen harman town the documentary nope I, I haven't no uh it's on netflix now uh and uh, it, it's pretty good. It follows Dan Harmon right after he got fired from Community and went on the big nationwide tour. Um, and the thing that you get to to figure out from Dan Harmon, if you hadn't already listened to the podcast and figured it out, is that dude likes to take his time on his scripts. Uh, so if the rationale for why season three of Rick and Morty isn't here because he didn't write his scripts in time or he was late or they were <laughs> over them, like, yeah, that sounds right. Um, and I'm sure like he, there was a funny sort of viral video that went out from one of his most recent Harmontown episodes, uh, in the past week or two, uh, with, when, uh, uh, oh God, someone was that someone on stage asked him about season three and he goes into this rap of they're drawing it. And, uh, you know, it's at the point where like, clearly it's going to be done when the people who are not him can now finish their thing. Uh, but it's it's a late start, right? When you have a late start, you're always late. Yeah, and I mean, it's th- this sort of seems to be a pattern with a few of the other TV sh- shows, uh, shows, because the article that we got from um, IndieWire points out that um, you know it, it was announced you know very early on in Atlanta that it was going to get renewed for season two, but then it said that there won't be season 
the season two won't air until 2018, but that's because of Donald Glover's busy schedule. And, you know, Fargo took 16 months between seasons one and two um, as writer Noah Hawley uh, worked on it. And, you know, there is the fact that, you know, animation takes a long time to produce for Rick and Morty and all that. But I mean, I do think they've done some brilliant things on the Rick and Morty side where, you know, they had um, Justin Roiland do the voice, you know, read the transcript of that fucked up court case that that they very easily could just make a full episode of Rick and Morty out of and all that. And then they got the animation stuff done and it um, and it looks like Adult Swim has premiered a set of, you know, claymation Rick and Morty shorts. Um you know, that have matched characters up with the classic films like The Thing, The Fly, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So, I mean, there's plenty of stuff there that you can do to, you know, to tease fans. And Pocket Morty. Yeah, and and Pocket Morty, which may or may not have gave up on, but we'll probably jump back into it. <laughs> they do frequent updates, so Adult Semi mentioned them before, so they do good stuff on the, on the game side. It's... It's interesting to see somebody that's creative changing the game on the medium they aren't usually co- uh, brought up with. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's 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 also Adult Swim's mo for their shows to have very long times between seasons, um, mostly because it's a lot of the same production companies doing all of these shows, or these are very small production companies. Uh, or in this, like in this case, where it's a very creator and writer-driven process, and the writer takes time. Um, but it's, uh, I, I think, I think what you'll what you're seeing with all of these extra little clips and the commercials and and even this, uh, they 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 made a, a really interesting Galactic Federation website um, in in uh, in sort of promotion for the new season. Um, is because they recognize that Rick and Morty uh, can be another can be a huge crossover show uh, if they promote it right. Because it's not like the show; it's not like they have a new show to premiere right now. But if they let, if they remind people, "Hey, Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty," um, they can have a huge mainstream, uh, you know, a- appeal that Adult Swim shows generally don't have you know uh, so hopefully hopefully it can come out when it comes out you know they, they've even they've even talked about season two being incredibly difficult to animate because there were so many new character models so many large set pieces remember in season two spoilers ready for spoilers uh where um you know rick catches up with the hive mind entity that he uh dated at one point and that hive mind entity for most of that episode is a different character. And in one scene constantly shifts between a dozen different characters in, in super rapid succession, you know, designing those and animating all these different people and characters really takes time. You know, the Simpsons, we pretty much know what every person who looks like in, in, in Springfield looks like, but you know, these are aliens and these are brand new, brand new things. Uh, yeah. No, definitely. Um, one thing that I will point out about with the Earth Galactic Federation uh, website is part of me really wants one of those Galactic Federation cards. And I think if they don't offer those cards up at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, they are missing a big boat there. 
Mm. You know, just a big little thing of here, here's your Galactic Federation card and just giving it away to people and all that. It seems like they're missing out on something right there. Yeah. Uh, this is such a great, like, uh, do you guys tip me off to this before? It's at galacticfederation.com. But it's like, it starts off as like, oh, the Galactic Federation is so great for Earth and all these like really creepy things. But you go to click and get a, a card and you get access to, um, well, I won't spoil it, but uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I will point out because I, when I first got on it, the um, I got on it on mobile. This is a Tumblr page. They made this all whole thing in Tumblr. I'm like, wait, you can do that with Tumblr? Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and this is another example of like, hey, we don't have a show for you, but we do. We can write funny words. So we're going to give you a lot of funny words. Yeah. That's like the people that made the marketing campaign for Deadpool. When you know what you have at hand and treat it well, you're just going to amplify what's there. And they do it so well. Yep. All right. The last thing I'll say about Rick and Morty is I need to see like the probably the last three episodes of season two. That's <gasps> us. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm horrible at this. Wait, so the Galactic Federation stuff doesn't even make sense for you. Mm-mm, but still, it's oh it's one. Of, no, here's here's the thing, and this is the weird part. Twenty two minutes. Yeah, I know. I've I uh what was it? I played what? Pocket Mortys before even watching the show. Because my friends are like, oh, Pocket Mortys. I'm like, all right, I'll check it out. And I'm like, all right. And then I started watching TV show. And I'm like, okay, I see where this is all coming from and stuff. God, you yeah, can't even. I'm, the, the I'm one of those backwards people. Mortys is all the references to the TV show. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How did you do that to yourself? It's, I'm one of them backwards people. There was a good chunk of time with The Walking Dead where I would watch Talking Dead before watching Walking Dead because of work <laughs> and stuff. So it's wow. like I'd hear Chris Hardwick and whoever talk about it and then be like, all right, and watch the repeat and then watch Comic Book Men and go to bed. I think it helps to be a crack whore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. That wasn't there? Um, I, I can neither confirm nor deny those the views by Beatmaster. And but moving yeah. on. <laughs> so yeah, that is it for the, the else news and we'll be right back. If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. And we are back, and it is time for the else views. This is where, um, where we, we we bring the what we've been nerding out over the past week on. And um, Bryce, I'm going to start with you. You have, um, I'm going to assume it's a podcast. Yes, from, by the website uh, here. So, uh, tell us about this. So, I make podcasts for a living. Half of my job is making podcasts for a living. So I list. So by virtue of of, of recording these shows i listen to a lot of podcasts but um uh what got me into podcasting was was comedy and and uh uh the uh now former nsfw show really like uh, inspired me to get into to podcasts and stuff and uh so 
when I when I have when I listen to podcasts in my off time, I try to listen to comedy shows um, and kind of get a sense of like what what my the type of comedy that I like, right? Like Night Attack is a comedy show question mark, but even then it's very, <laughs> it's a very it's it's not like high concept or anything. Um, and so for the past few years, probably one of my probably one of my favorite comedy podcasts has been uh, an Earwolf production called Hollywood Handbook. Um, the Insider's Guide to Kicking Butt and Taking and Dropping Names in the Red Carpet Lineback Hallways of This Industry We Call Showbiz. Uh, what up? What up? Uh, it is, it is a, it is a high concept show. When you go in and you listen to it, uh, you will either figure out who uh, these characters, Sean and Hayes, are being, or you won't. And your rec- recognition of the people that they are trying to be, uh, which is Hollywood faux big shots. Um, is a it like is a direct influence on if you like it or not, uh, but it's 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 really good just in terms of being um, kind of a traditional comedy format of, of of a show where the hosts are are being character versions of themselves, the guests that come on are sometimes being character versions of themselves, or sometimes in the case of Polly Shore, uh, not, but they're it's just uh, a character. Uh, uh, no, uh, like there is like a, a a sideways version of themselves. So like they like this most recent episode, they had Julie Klausner on who uh, was on Difficult People. And when she's on the show, she kind of plays a a ditzier, more um, uh, 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 unaware version of herself. Right. Uh, and it's it, 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 it's it's really good. Uh, but it's also not for everybody. It is not the love fest main, that that everybody could listen to of like my brother, my brother and me. And it's not, you know, the huge big names that could attract somebody on like County Bang Bang. But I think if you dig this style of comedy, which is very um, not not even character based, but mood based and and. Um, almost adversarial there there's 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 one of the episodes in hollywood handbook where uh, it's um uh, uh oh what is his name he was on the daily show he was um colbert no it was correspondence one of the correspondents right um white snack no almost uh, let me see if I can Google it really quick. Oh no, Google's too smart, and it's only showing me recent ones. Uh, his name is someone. Maybe edits this out. Uh, they they no nope, one keeping it. In. <laughs> okay, that's right. Uh, Asif Manvi. They they get Asif okay. Manvi on the show. Oh, and it's kind of a pretty big name for them, right? Um, but also on the show, they have Scott Ackerman, who is the host of Comedy Bang Bang, and ostensibly Sean and Hayes' boss at Earwolf. And so at the same time that they are kind of interviewing Asif, they are also in this premise of renegotiating their contract with Earwolf. Uh, and it's this, it, the premise is awkward, and, and it's, it's adversarial. It's just like 
there's actually a bit of conflict. Um, if you've ever listened to like Tim Heidecker on podcasts where he can like fall into this character who is like having none of it and is not playing any of these fucking games. Uh, it's kind of like that. It's not for everybody, but I think if it is, it could be one of your favorite podcasts of all time. Nice. Nice. So check that out at earwolf.com slash so slash Hollywood handbook. Um, and the, so my nerding out cause B is gonna pass on his nerding out, um, is the Lego Batman movie. And I'm going to do Bryce a favor because he has not seen it. And I am going to, and actually with what I had shared with you earlier, my headphones out. I can, no, I can. No, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give spoiler-free review. Oh, I, yes. I laughed from start to end. Like, and, and when I say start, I mean before the Warner Brothers logo, because, I mean, I don't even think Deadpool did this. Where you have Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool talking through the Marvel, uh, you know, production credits th- scene. Mm-hmm. The Lego Batman movie does that. It just starts black screen and you got picture will arnett and i'm paraphrasing here black all great movies start with black and then and then going the production credits and going like breaking the fourth wall and saying how the how the movie is made and all that um that's great yeah the other great the other great element in here is the characters i mean this is essentially a you know a movie where you know we have batman and I will address one of the complaints that beat said on Batman of that, that people had where he's a little too um, like wanting to be the loner, but it works. I mean, because he's Batman whenever anyone thinks of Batman, they have a back, a back, you know, back of the mind thought of Robin, but it's like, Oh, he's this rough, tough, big dude. Who's got nine abs um, sorry, I spoiled a little bit of a joke there, but <laughs> it's in the beginning. It's in the beginning. It's it's hilarious to see. Um, I besides the fact that there was a dude sleeping behind me, like and going from you know light just <sighs> snoring to the people up front are going to hear you, dude. And I wanted to throw my popcorn at him, just like go, oh, you scared me. Sorry, sorry there, bud. <laughs> Think, but then I'd probably would have got punched. Um. But we're laughing throughout this whole movie, like start to fit or start to finish, um, with the references, and you know, just picking out characters, like Kate Micucci as Clayface. That's a brilliant casting choice, you know, from the comedy standpoint. Because I mean, you got small little Kate Micucci doing the big, like a a buff guy voice, and I'm like, wait, oh, that's brilliant. After I looked her up on IMDb through all the characters. Um, they it they blended this perfectly with like a Lego movie style, you know, because you have you see other properties in here. You, you know, you see the Wicked Witch of the West. You see, um, the Daleks, which they just call British invasion bots or something like that. And it's really cleverly done throughout the whole movie, and so fucking hilarious and i mean there was a kid laughing in front of me and i'm like did he even get the joke like like there's they're making references to like the 66 batman and he's up there (laughs) the whole time like 
if he gets this, he's like my new best friend and he's only like four years old <laughs> sort of deal. But no, so cool. Um, Bryce, go out and catch it when, you know, when you get a chance and all that and you will enjoy it. Yeah, looking forward to it. I really dug the Lego movie uh, and it, and we looked it up before the show. Lord Miller are producers on, on the Batman movie. So I, uh, I'm, I'm stoked because the the Lego movie was just a really tight comedy, right? Like a lot of a lot of jokes and a lot of them landed. So, yeah, uh, it's a very similar thing here. Um, you know, especially with it's like with that and with doing references, like it's this great balancing act for the whole family. You know, like there's a lot of the jokes for the kids, and then for the older people, for the parents and stuff. There's a lot of references to you know, maybe from when they were a kid and watched Batman, you know, maybe like the 66 Batman television show or, you know, the early Batman movie or, you know, anything like that. And it was just really clever at how they did the things. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching, I'm like, all right, mom's boyfriend saying he wants to go see this. I'm going to go again with them and watch this movie. <laughs> I pray. Just so we could sit there and laugh. Yeah. That's the one thing because of the loneliness, other things that's things I've heard, and I usually ignore anything before I see a movie for myself without having other people tell me what how I should feel. But the first one had so many characters that they can deliver punchlines, dang, 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 like that. And when you focus on one, it would be hard to keep up that thing, and so they had to get another beat, another pace for the whole thing, I assume. and that isn't easy because it was so much from the first one movie worked comedy works with timing it's so mm. empirical that it works and i hope they can keep it up but i see that the, that batman could be more skewed towards children than the first one was the first one subverted yeah. you into thinking it was a kid's to uh, kid's tale but then it went places did Batman also have that, like the end of the uh, Lego movie, that it broke the fourth wall and g gave you another peak? No, well, not not in that same way. Um, they use other movies, and I, I'm trying to say this spoiler as spoiler free as I can. They use other movies in a no. You're 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 good. You're good. Okay, okay. They use other movies in that way of breaking the fourth wall. Um, basically, with the, this Lego franchise, they have not had a movie yet that has not had a live-action a live action element. Now, this is not to say that they've they filmed anything for this, but part of it you can guess because think back to the history of Batman and what they might have done, especially, you know, in, this, in the 60s, and there are, you know, clips from there. There are clips from other, you know, Warner Brothers owned movies in here for, you know, to demonstrate Batman's off time. I'll put it to you that way. Um, but the the thing, honestly, that has me in, more interested is what are they going to do with this next movie? Because the next movie they have is Lego Ninjago movie. I think this is going to be their big, their big challenge because these first two Lego movies have been comedies. With the Lego Ninjago TV show, it's not a comedy. There are funny moments in there, but it's one of those like Power Rangers type shows. 
But you get so, the kids. You get the kids. You're right. It's it come supposedly it's going to come out in September. Yeah. You know, get get a good kids movie. If the kids have already seen the Lego movies and already know that they're really good, or if they're really bought into Ninjago, like it's probably definitely going to skew much younger than the cross the the crossover appeal of of Batman and the Lego movie. But like, yeah, go for it. I mean, it's not like it's but if it were Bionicle, I would worry about it. But yeah, but the one thing they probably want to do is leave DC or Warner Brothers and stuff behind so they don't have to always pay royalties and give half of their money to other people that only give their IP nothing else so I can see them going places and they establish themselves as a veritable storytelling medium and it works we all were at least I was laughing about the idea itself when it was first conceived or was talked about yeah. Well, maybe we'll just see the same thing with the Emoji movie or with Tetris movies. <laughs> that will happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that is going to do it for the Else Views, and we will be right back with the Else Words. Does the sound of the TARDIS get you all excited? Are you a fan of the longest-running science fiction show? Then for all your news and gossip, check out Who Knew and Review. We're a podcast by Galactic Netcasts. You can find us at gncasts.com slash TARDIS. Each week, we will run through a collection of stories from around the Hooniverse itself at gncasts.com dot com slash TARDIS And we are back and it is time for the else words. This is our discussion topic for the evening and we're gonna talk to Nashcom. Um we're gonna talk to Bryce, you know, a little bit. We're just gonna, you know, bullshit around a little for a little bit here. Um to get to let the people who you know might only see Bryce as the producer of Cord Killers Night Attack, you know all these shows let's give them a new perspective on who he might be as a person okay um so i know you like not well not personally but i've met you know heard about you through doing the music for um night attack the music the comedy albums um so you so yeah you start you start in music how did you or is Uh, it just like a fun little hobby thing or what was it so I started toy. I mean, I I guess I started toying around with music as as a kid. I in middle school I was in the band. I played uh, clarinet uh, for three for three years. Uh, in high school I started messing around with um, uh, what is it? Sony Vegas? No, not Vegas. Uh, Acid when it was mm-hmm. a, when it was Acid, and I don't think Sony owns that anymore. Um, and just making really crappy sounding things uh, and. Once I went into college, which um, I went in for, um, uh, it, it's not. It wasn't a film school. It's it's called kinetic imaging. So it's it's a fine arts degree, but it's it's based on um, uh, art that takes place over time. So things like video and installations and and audio was a big part of it. And so you know most of the people went in there wanted to learn video production and stuff or animation and CD or, or, or gaming stuff. And so I was one of the very few people who 
uh, spent a lot of time focusing on audio <laughs> to to the point of uh, I it's a it's kind of an open curriculum, so you just pick the classes at the level that you like. Uh, I ran out of audio classes to take, so I had had to, had to retake one just because like no there wasn't as much uh, interest from everybody else. Uh, so uh, I've been doing music for a while now, uh, and and yeah, so. I, I had done remixes for like for NSFW show back in the day, uh, and the Night Attack comedy albums, uh, and it was I I don't know it it was it was a fascination for me because because in high school I thought I would go to college for graphic design, um, and then when I found this other other major, uh, I just fell in love and 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 being able to do music as a part of all of my projects for that. Um, like it's, it, it was a very integral part of, of the things that I was doing. Um, so, so I guess that's, that's how I got like my first, uh, album. If you go to, if on my band camp, uh, my post pop album, uh, was actually a, my senior project for, for one of those audio classes. Uh, and it's like a double album and there's a short story with it. Uh, and then, uh, for another class, I made a an animated um, sort of eight bit looking um, uh, uh, sort of trailer for the album, and it's it's a it's that merging of all these things of of story and audio and and visual, um, and and I think that's really what motivates me to to do these music projects, um, nice. which is kind of where I've been stuck. I actually had a really great conversation with someone earlier this week of like why I haven't been doing as much stuff lately. And part of it is I am, I'm waiting for stories. Like story is so important to me when it comes to things like albums. Uh, and that's what I'm keeping an eye out for. Cool. Cool. So, and, um, so, okay. Oh, in there, because I do music, music on my own trust for myself, but uh, I'm interested besides doing remixes, how you do you approach? You like to approach your music for, Oh, taking from sources you know or going with doing every instrument yourself what's your mm. usual game plan so when i was when i was doing a bunch of stuff uh like the the, out, the remixes or the albums um it there was always like a nugget of inspiration and so like for the for the remixes like the, the podcast remixes you always had the show to to go off of or the comedy albums to go off of and uh with with the albums uh, I I very much like worked. I mean, I, for some people it would be working backwards, but like uh, I always worked with the progression of the story in mind. So I would, uh, I, I think for both of the, the albums that I put out, I started with a track listing first uh, and, and then made the music to fit that like narrative arc. Um, and, and so you know, when I when I found the out the movie that I based Mercury Counter on, uh, it just started as this like idea, like, well, you know, this is a this is a public domain movie. You know, if it you know it it's pretty well positioned, or it, the the audio and the, the way that it is, um, uh, and being of the time, uh, are are very prime materials to like reimagine this story. Um. So it, 
I, I, I don't, I would say I don't have like a very reliable source of inspiration because I think those, those ideas have come from, from very wildly different places. Um, but in general, have, having a story to tell is like the thing that gets me going with like big projects. So you go the more the artistic route and instead of the production route, you try to tell something to evoke something with your music, with your product. I would hope so. Uh, you know, last year I only I, I put out a couple of songs in the past two years um, to various degrees of self-satisfaction. Uh, and I think it's mostly been because I haven't had had that sort of story inspiration stuff to work from. Um, but uh, I'm I'm taking proactive steps to to try to get get into that space and hopefully at least start working on a new album this year. Cool. <laughs> cool. So what what inspires you? What what are some of the things that that inspire? You know, not necessarily just music, but like with all with a lot of the things that you do, what what are what what tends to be the the go to thing for inspiration? Ah, uh, man, that's that's tough because a, a lot of what I do now in the creative space is uh, my professional work, just being the podcasts or things things like Scam School, um, and so that's usually other you know other people's content or other people's stories. Um, and and injecting my own voice and and uh, you know working to to the to what those shows are, but for me, I, I don't I don't know I it's 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 a, it's been a while since I've, I've I feel like I've started something that is innately my own. So so I would say that I don't have an answer for that. Oh, that's. Oof. Well, you, I, I feel like you sort of answered it a little bit where you, you answer, you, you said that you know, like it could be anything for with the music and stuff like that. So I was just wondering if there was like, like, okay, I need inspiration. And I like with me, I'm very visual. So it'll be, you know, like movies or comic books and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when, like when I was younger and listening to music, like I would, it would always end up getting paired with whatever I was doing at the time. So it's like, you know, like there's a certain song that I can play in my head because when I'm bored at work and I'm not listening to podcasts, I'm usually playing music in my head and all that, even though I've got headphones right here and I can actually play the song yeah. and it'll remind me of like the first time I heard that song or an, a, a monumental moment in my life where I heard that song. So that's sort of why I asked that question. And I think that's, it, it might be, it might be a little bit similar. You um, said trying to give you an out. <laughs> Uh, uh yeah yeah I, I i think so part part of it is um if i if i'm not working off story or on, on a larger project like that it will often be um wanting to ape somebody else's sound um so one of the one of the songs that i put out last year is called transmit which i think is a really ended up being a really nice song um but also uh if you if you take a real hard look at the way that that song is structurally and and arrangement wise uh it definitely sounds a lot like a very specific crystal castle song whoops um uh, but that at least that's a jumping off point for me is like finding something i really really dig either audi audibly if it's like a one-off thing or or if there's a story or a plot that i really dig um and 
going from there. Um, though I, I, I would say I don't, I don't know that I have a great at bat record with trying to ape other people's sounds. Yeah. Uh, and, and, so and the stuff I release, cause I generally just, if I don't like it, I try not to release it, but, uh, there, like, I've definitely got a lot of demos and real, like, <laughs> shitty ass, you know, wannabes, you know. But I'm sure most musicians have that too. So, yeah. The thing that uh, combines the things you do with producing with music is when people are on Diamond Club TV, a place to be, uh, and uh, watch your shows when you start to the pre show, you often use music from from South Korea, K-pop, and other such things, is this something you picked up thanks to doing the shows you do? Or is that something you came up, you uh, encountered yourself and said, wow, that's music I, I really they can delve into? Um, well, uh, a, 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 a quick correction. I um, listen to basically no, no Korean pop, but I listen to a lot of Japanese pop. There's a very specific yes. difference. With that. I don't like that uh, <laughs> being. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sorry. Well, so it's actually, Korean, to all Japanese people. And it, well, there. I mean, I can get into a thirty-minute tangent on this, but they're very different, like um, pr approaches. Even one's to, Korea, one's Japan. Come on, B. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, that that's that that's true. That I do lis listen to and share a lot of Japanese music. Uh, even like within the past week, uh, an, uh, an amazing Japanese album came out that I love, um, and uh, I, I will share it uh, uh, in in other mediums. Uh, but that started in middle school, I guess. I don't know when. Whenever, like uh, you, when you hear the Kingdom Hearts commercial as a kid enough times and you hear that really great bit of simple and clean it like it digs into you when you look for it and you find other things so so that that's probably like how i initially got into it which i think a lot of um american listeners of japanese music did uh is probably is through kingdom hearts or an anime that they really liked like that that media proliferation is a very powerful tool for um, for an international listener who who you know may not um, have direct d direct uh, discovery tools for them, and so you know going through middle school and high school and finding other people who listen to some of that stuff, uh, and even through college, I would say that's mostly what I listen to. Though in college, I also was really getting into electronic and DJ music. Because uh, I was DJing a little bit then, um, and now I, uh, I I have like my that sounds not cool project, which is trying to like discover new and different types of music and share it with everybody. Um, and so I've, I've I feel like I've opened up the da the doors even more. And so um, w within the past five years, I've gone from like being listening to a lot of you know foreign music uh, now to listening to a lot of a little bit of everything yeah it's you're it's weird because it's you're saying these things like it sounds like a lot like me because where it wasn't kingdom hearts it was it was anime and then a resurgence with baby metal um sure. to where now it's like on my google play it's like i'll play you know it's, it's either like baby metal music 
or the radio station or the like essential j-pop or something like that when i'm feeling in the mood and it's like but yeah I, like i tell people like well what's your music into i'm like anything anything but country and mainstream hip-hop because the mainstream hip-hop ones they have to have that they have to hit a right thing for me to for me to enjoy it i'll say that i've actually found some country over this past year that i that i dug Stur, Stur, sturgill simpson sturgill simpson yep he's grammy nominated actually now yeah. uh his his last little uh ep was pretty nice and i think it's called into the sea or maybe that's that blue october song and the waffle house song with colbert yeah uh is that him yeah or is oh Oh, they recorded both, <laughs> and uh, they pretended to be waiters in the Waffle House. It was pretty good, and I saw him the first time there because Colbert sometimes has great guests, as uh, musical guests, and I, my dad listens to so much country, I couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> and he takes something special like uh, Johnny Cash and uh, yeah, Lex Rutgers. They go a little out of the way or do some do their own thing, not a bland story about having lost somebody or whatever yeah. yeah yeah that's and that's the same thing with me like i can't i, I work at a target in the selling phones and stuff and so um i could tell you right now if you want garth brooks is a cd collection thing that he released where you can get it real cheap and that's at the target i work at because we have probably about a hundred copies of it but garth brooks is like i heard so much of him that i can't it's like i, I can't really get into him other unless it's like thunder rolls or you know um um friends in those places and stuff like that but there's a few there's there are a good number of country singers that i can listen to but it's the, it's similar to beat with like that oh they're they're you know they lost the dog they you know this that you know the, the stereotypical country song that i can't really get into and there should that. be some country music in john wick too then hmm. <laughs> spoiler <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, just uh, out of curiosity, are you a fan of the Yoko Kano uh, music, the things she did for Anime Man games? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, very Cowboy specific. Bebop, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, pro it, probably a lot of those, the, the the very prominent like American crossover things, certainly. Um, I, I, I didn't really like, I've, I've only had very specific like um experiences with anime like whatever was on adult swim or tsunami at the time and then you know if something very specific caught my interest but uh uh yeah it it, it would be mostly the her like big well-known things probably okay all right switching from um the music stuff what are what are some other things? Yeah, what are some other things that interest you? Like we, we've mentioned the gaming and stuff, but what are like that that a lot of people wouldn't know about about Bryce that he's into? Uh man, it, it's it's weird because I feel like I live a pretty open book, so I don't I don't even know what what people might might and might not know about me. Um, I generally like to cook. I feel like I've I've met a lot of a surprising amount of people who I've told that to and they thought and and had them say, Oh, I never cook to me. <laughs> that's uh that's a more unique thing. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, I I think part of that might be because I mean you're very small, dude, and it's like we're me, me, meanwhile me I'm three hundred pounds. You're like, and I say, oh, I like to cook. We're like, yeah, done. You like to eat too, don't you? It's like, <laughs> first off, fuck you, but and second off, yes, I do like to eat. <laughs> um, it's probably not a surprise that I like uh uh music and rhythm games. Probably probably not a surprise to anybody there. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, uh, I, man, so I don't know. DJ I'm, I'm in, the, in the nineties. Say again. DJ Mania with a small DJ controller that was on PlayStation One or Two. Uh oh, DJ Hero. Or was it called DJ Hero? No, no, it was an older game that was the first one to put such a controller out. But um, I mean. Uh, I really dig Beat Mania, um, which they don't that one, then. make I anymore. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I dig that. I even got, um, um, I, I would bootleg uh, those the those Beat Mania games uh, because you could get a one of those swap discs for your PlayStation, and so you know uh, they had I put out one of those games in America, so I had a controller, and uh, that that's, that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, I haven't, I haven't, I actually, uh, here was, since I moved to Austin, there's actually an arcade here that has a more recent beat mania machine, which is like fucking mind blowing that <laughs> it's even here. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, that, that's, that's, that's probably, I, I, I don't know. It's such a weird thing. Cause when I talk to other people or if I am, I don't know trying to meet new people and i'm like hey so like what are you into um i feel like i'm pretty judgmental if if they don't really have like a hobby or something um but so many of my hobbies are work <laughs> you know yeah. podcasting or making videos or making music and stuff um i i don't maybe i don't maybe i have no off work hobbies oh that would be weird that's weird because i would well, get, I think, but here, here's here's how it's i would say that though and i, I feel like i'm ju justifying it for you um have you reached a, a point where these the things that you do feel like work you know like it's like oh i gotta go you know i mean because i mean here yeah this is a fun thing that i do you know i'm not really making any money on it well we're not really making any money on it at all um and, and stuff and you know i still got to work you know go sell phones at target and stuff like that but yet this is fun you know sitting here getting to meet you know people from from around the world i tell people all the time my best friends aren't in this town i live in they're in california you know be over in switzerland and you know i got friends in england and stuff that i've never met face to face mm -mm. and all that and it's because of this here you know, and I have to thank Glenn Rubenstein for that because he's the one who started this whole, this whole thing up here, mm. and so it's like, yeah. So do do you get? So is it still like that? Like, is it still like? I do you I'd still say, find fun with it? Yeah, I'd say mostly. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's a weird thing to to be like, yeah, I love engineering live streams, but I do <laughs> I dig like the live switching and stuff. So. Yeah, I guess I f that makes me feel better about that. <laughs> uh, but I don't have I like um, I don't have any secret hobbies, right? Like, uh, like you, uh, 
uh, someone tuning into this, unfortunately, is not going to find out by my secret knitting history. Like, nah, I, I'm pretty out. Master of the cross stitch. But some of us but we had Christy Cates before on, and we had also uh, Jackie Hearn on, and mm. trying to get them a little bit out of their skin and not being on a podcast producing themselves, but they know they can lay back and be uh, to, uh, talking about the things they most mm. prominently want to talk about. And the uh, thing that most interested me in your involvement is how you came in to be in the whole Diamond Club family, how, how that transition went into that being uh, from a hobby, I guess, before that, and then to actually being your day job. Yeah. Um, like, I, my first uh, discovery with, with with Diamond Club would have been, I, I know, I remember it specific, I don't remember the specific date, but uh, uh, in college, was it in college? No. What did I remember that? No, he was in college. Um, I really followed Boing Boing a lot. Boing Boing.net. And uh, which is like a geek culture and cyber culture sort of blog. Great person. Uh, yeah. And and so Jenny was on an episode of Twit one week. Uh, and I was like, oh, cool. That I'll check that out. Uh, and then that sort of spiraled or I don't know found its way into me finding NSFW and, and uh, being part of the chat room and always watch, like trying to catch the show live whenever I could. I remember uh, in oh, it sort of in my second year of college, I uh, had had a late night class on Tuesdays. And for whatever reason, I had to, I was working in the lab late one night and uh, uh, it was, it was right about the time that NSFW was about to start for the night. And so instead of walking the, you know, 10 minutes to my apartment, I just stayed in the lab and like was dying watching the, uh, it was, it was the NACA episode of, uh, of NSFW. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, like this is, this is great. And so that, that actually got me into doing my own podcast and stuff. And so, uh, once I was ready to make a move out of my government video job, uh, and I knew I wanted to move to Austin regardless, uh, it just was very serendipitous of Brian looking for a new person and all of the shows going independent and and needing somebody to click all of these buttons for them, um, and and then just ended up transitioning into. Um, more and more roles on these shows that I that I generally love, you know, that was the thing that I hated about the last job of mine is that I honestly really didn't care about it. Like it was, it, it, I like I didn't even live in the city that I was working for, so like <laughs> I didn't have any sort of civic pride in in these boring ass council meetings. So, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, um, yeah. that's the that's cool the thing that I that I found with with this is is hearing the stories of how people got in to this common interest that's, you know, like NSFW or, or night attack or, or, you know, even like Tom's stuff. And it's like, cause I came at it from scam school. Like, like it was weird. Like G4 attack, uh, around the net attack of the show thing. Then eventually finding scam school and then finding the BB live show stuff and mm -hmm. just being like, all right, 
hey this is awesome oh they're going on twitter oh, that's cool and did discovering all the twit shows and discovering tom through tech news today and then yeah. now here it's like i'm doing this after um because glenn uh rubenstein was doing game on as a producer and he was afterwards he was doing uh he would do the show thing from his house where he would just sit there and talk about tv shows and stuff from the past week my ass shows up and then i never left <laughs> and glenn eventually gave me the keys to the car and's like here you go go off to college sweet oh wow <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean so um where can people find out more about you and, and the things that you do Sure. Uh, the easiest, if if you use Twitter a lot, is to follow me on Twitter at Brycas B R Y C A S. Um, that's that's where I mostly um, talk about the things that I. I mean, I'm on I'm on Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and stuff, but I think Twitter is probably my most active thing right now. Um, and if you want to find out the things that I work on, uh, my website is neshcom.com, n e s h c o m dot com. Uh, there's links to pretty much everything I do there, the shows that I produce, the shows that I'm on, projects that I've done in the past, some of my music and things. Uh, anything between those two, you'll pretty much get everything. Cool. And so that's just about going to about wrap it up here for us. Um, you know, you guys can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966 or email us mail at elsenerds.com. Um and you know you can find all of our stuff there at at our website gncast.com slash subscribe. Um, you can find us on Facebook, just look for Galactic Netcasts. Um, that's also where you can find us on Twitter at us at Galactic Netcasts, and then the show is at Else Nerds. Um, Evan, our producer is at Mr. Underscore Fusion. My typical co-host, you can usually find his stuff at don'taskcomics.com. Um, I'm at that Gregor. Beat, where can people find you? At Beatmaster80. And the um, and also I have a found out you can change your name on Instagram, so I'm that dot Gregor because someone has that Gregor and doesn't do anything with it. I'm like assholes. <laughs> but the final thing to be sa- to be said is this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We'll see you guys next week or else. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to gncast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.